Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. This morning we are going to continue in our series, bless you, Woven in Gospel. It's entitled Uncreated Light. And we have two readings this morning. And so Mary Borja is going to start first. And then Mary Escalera is going to start next because it's a merry morning. All right. Good morning. <laughs> Another shy person. I'm just following uh, Kachina's uh, lead there. So this is Mark 1 and uh, what chapter? Mark 8. Oh, oh, Mark 8. Okay. Chapter 27. Um, and Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. John eight twenty five through 30 Who are you? they asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you. But he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Thank you, ladies. We are in John chapter 8 this morning, and I'm going to be talking to you about bedtime stories, lighting fireworks, gender reveals, and random access memory. But open to John chapter 8, if you would. You know, this is one of the stories in the Gospels that's a favorite. I remember our children would have favorite stories, and I remember favorite stories even as I was a kid, where you want to hear it over and over and over again. I remember checking out a book when I was in, uh, what do they call it now, not primary school, elementary, is they still call it elementary? I don't know, the rules keep changing. Elementary school, I remember checking out this book, and I checked it out like five times, and then they used to have the cards, you know, that you'd put in there. I was the only one who ever checked out that book, right? And my kids would do the same thing at bedtime. We would read them that bedtime story, and they would say, read that one again, and it was always the longest one, right? They always wanted that longest story. And this is one of those stories, the woman caught in adultery, 
that really is a favorite of mine. So we're going to read starting in verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. There is so much happening in this story, and the picture is so vivid that it it just captures your breath. The story is something where you can just picture it happening and it's been in all those movies and it's a story that we know and are very familiar with. And the first thing we notice in verse six is that Jesus is ambushed, right? This is there to test him. And we don't know the story leading up to this. We don't know where the woman was, her story, and what brought her to this. But she is a person. She has an identity. It's not just some random person. And Jesus is the only one who treats her as human. The others are using her as an object to try and entrap Jesus. I I think that it's very interesting because they knew who Jesus hung out with. And they knew that bringing this circumstance and throwing out the law of Moses would cause a conflict with the people who Jesus was befriending, friend of sinners, and the law of Moses. And so they were trying to put Moses here and Jesus here so that the people would say, okay, he is violating our law and our hero, basically Moses. But Jesus doesn't bite right? They try to trap him, but he says nothing and writes on the ground. And everyone wants to know what was he writing. And I think that's part of the genius of this story is leaving that a mystery so that we start thinking about what is going on. It does say that he wrote with his finger on the ground. And we know that The law of Moses was given with the finger of God. And so there is this correlation between those things, but we really don't know what's going on. And regardless, when Jesus does finally speak, because they keep asking him, what do you say? What do you say? He cuts through the facade. He says, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And then it says from the oldest they start leaving. Why does it say that? I think there is something that happens in age where you start becoming a little bit more aware of 
your shortcomings, or it can happen, doesn't always happen, right? Where the younger person might be very idealistic, at least I was, right? When I was younger, I had the answers. I knew everything, I, and I was not a very graceful person. And hopefully I've become more gracious as time goes on. And I think you see that happening even in this story where the oldest to the youngest start going away. I remember a few years back, a pastor friend of mine uh, had an incident happen in his church that was devastating. And I was talking to him about this and I told him, you know, as we were talking that I, I think you need to really make sure that you take care of the people who were injured in this situation that happened. And he said, well, I need to take care of the church, right? I need to take care of my community to make sure that we make it through this and that we're okay. And I said, well, I think you really need to focus on the people who were injured. And we had a little disagreement. I mean, it was friendly, but there was definitely verbal. He's like, well, I'm sorry. This is how I feel. And I said, it's your place, right? And so years later, talking with him again, he said, you know, you were right. I should have cared more about the people than worried about the organization. And he was a younger man. And I think as time passed, he saw that really it is the people that matters. It's the people that God cares about. It's the person that Jesus is interested in. And that's really what we see in this story. And so this is one of my favorite stories in scripture. There's just one problem with this story And it's that the vast majority of biblical scholars agree that John did not put it here. Now, I know some of you are freaking out right now, but on the footnotes of your Bible, whatever translation you have, you'll probably see some italics and you'll see that happening. There's just a lot of manuscripts, the ancient manuscripts, where this story is not found. Some copies of Luke's gospel actually contain it, and then some copies of John's gospel contain it in different place. Remember, the whole message of Jesus and these stories were shared orally first before they were written down. So I think we can conclude here that this story was so well-known and so loved that they saw that it was too important to lose, and so it had to be preserved somewhere. And personally, I think this is a perfect place. And so this isn't something that you should start thinking, well, is this inspired? Yes, it is inspired. Just in the reading of it, I think you felt and knew it was inspired. And I think it fits so perfectly in this chapter. There are certain themes in this chapter and the story, how it plays out. I think it's more than coincidence that this story is here. I think it is divine. Right, it, it starts off at the temple while Jesus is there at the temple. The story begins with him entering the temple. The chapter ends with him leaving it. The idea of sin, no one present who accused the woman was without sin. Later, Jesus said to those in the crowd that they would die in their sin and whoever practices sin is a slave to sin. In verse 46, he says, no one in the temple could convict Jesus of sin. And so we see that no one could condemn her and no one could condemn him. He was the one person without sin, and yet he threw no stones. He says that he doesn't condemn or judge the woman. In the Greek, it's katakrino. 
And it's none of the accusers stayed to condemn the woman. And Jesus, who could have condemned her, in verse 11, did not. Later, Jesus said, I judge no one, verse 15, as he just demonstrated. And central to the woman's story is the stoning. And that's how the story ends the chapter. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And so this story just is woven into this chapter beautifully. And I don't think it's a coincidence. And I don't think you need to fear, well, where did it come from? It's speculation, but it was so prominent that they couldn't leave it out. There was such an identity of who Jesus was that this story just emanated who he was, that they said, this has to be in here. And following this story, Jesus makes an announcement. And he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees who heard them reacted immediately to this because they were just looking for him to say something that they could disagree with. And from this point on, we have this little match going on between Jesus and the Pharisees throughout this entire chapter. They're they're criticizing him and they're trying to, to accuse him and it's going back and forth as they're bringing up their objections to him and he's countering these things with them, trying to find something that they could pin on him. The crowd misunderstood and underestimated him and so he walked them through the maze of their wrong thinking throughout this chapter. And there's three instances that I think are important here in light of our series in tying what the synoptic gospels alluded to that I believe John is really digging into here. I see him revealing truths or expounding on them even more than we see in the other gospels. And remember, those gospels were written long before John's. And so here are the three things that I think are significant. First, He announced that I am the light of the world. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told the disciples and in turn the the crowd that was there with them that you are the light of the world, right? Now, how did the disciples and the crowd become the light of the world? Right? He'd gone through the Beatitudes. Well, those are the characteristics, but it's doubtful that they lived up to them, especially that soon to that conversation. So how could they be the light of the world? Jesus went on to say that the people do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. You see, you have to light the lamp. You know, when I was a kid, Come 4th of July, lighting fireworks was like the big deal. It's one thing to watch fireworks. It's another thing to light them, right? And I've got so many fireworks stories. We lived in East LA, or that's where we did the fireworks, and we learned how to be creative, right? You can take an M80, put it in a bucket, and put it on some water, create a vacuum, and shoot that thing like a rocket. Don't try this at home. 
And so we did that. We lit it in the backyard, had this two-gallon metal bucket, and boom, the thing shot up over my grandmother's house, landed in the front yard. We went running out in the front yard, just ecstatic, and there was a police driving by. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, like, what? and of course, everyone's doing this back then, and so we didn't get stopped or anything, but some of the things that I remember about fireworks, lighting them, the excitement. I remember doing that in our backyard with our, our kids, teaching them the ways of my childhood, right? And, and so I had a little coffee, you know, can because I wasn't going to do a big bucket. I'm going to be safe. And so I did a little coffee can and shot it up in the air. And my son Daniel's sitting there looking at it and thinking thing came down, hit him in the head. He was fine. This is what happened when mom went away for the weekend, right? I'll, I'll watch the kids, no problem. And so like a, a good parent wanting our kids to develop and learn, I gave each of them some fireworks that they could have on their own and light, you know, because that's what you do, right? Um, anyway, if you're a good dad, yeah. So I remember looking out in the backyard and my son Daniel's putting a firecracker in the palm tree and he lights it in the whole fire palm tree goes up. And I was just fortunate to be watching it. Anyway, this isn't about my parenting skills that you're all envious of. This is just saying lighting it is very significant, right? And I wonder if Jesus is explaining where they got their light. When he says, I am the light of the world, where do you get your light? He is the one who lit their lamps. Here he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. They have it by following him. We have the light of life by following Jesus. Right? He's the one who ignites it within our souls. He's the one that brings the revelation, the illumination into our lives. In the next chapter He will say, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Verse 5, chapter 9. And what happens to the light when he leaves the world? Right? His disciples continue to be the light of the world. Right? He is the light of the world as long as he's in the world. But when he leaves, the light didn't go away. It came upon them. Even the symbolic image of Pentecost comes to mind where they continue to bring the truth to the world. And John emphasizes light and sight, right? This illumination all throughout his gospel. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, John 1, verse 9. And he, we have seen his glory, John 1, 14. What sign you, do you do that we may see and believe you? John 6. Unless I see his hands and the marks of the nails, I will never believe in John 20, Thomas. Thomas had not seen the light. If he had seen the light, he would have believed. See, seeing is not believing. Seeing is not how we know God or walk with God. If we need to see him, we'll never know him. In fact, the Jews were forbidden to make any images of him, lest they be blinded by something less. And so this idea of light and illumination is an important thing. Paul writes, as we look not to the things that are seen, but 
to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. 2 Corinthians 4.18. For we walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5.7. See, there, there's a different kind of illumination. There's a different kind of seeing that is taking place. There's a different kind of light that we need in our lives, and Jesus is the one who provides it. He is the light of the world. He is the one who lights our lamp. He is the one who illuminates our life. And I think John is taking those things that were in the Gospels and he's saying, here's a little bit more for you to understand. You're the light of the world, but here's who lights your life. Here is the light of life. Let's bring it back to the source. We don't believe because we see, but we begin to see when we believe. How many of you found that true? I don't understand everything, but as I have faith, I begin to understand a little bit more. And it's important that we recognize these things. Rather than helping us to know God, sometimes sight can actually get in the way. Why did Jesus have to blind Paul on the road to Damascus? Because he had to help him see. Right? He had to get to a place where he was alone and could see himself clearly. And he couldn't do that with the way things were and how he was seeing. And so he was blinded so that he could actually begin to see He needed to have his eyes open to the one who he was and the one who was now commissioning him. Jesus is the light, but not the kind that we see with our eyes. We make distinctions between natural light, artificial light. There is light that can't be seen, right, by the human eye, infrared, ultraviolet, x-ray. And likewise, there is another light that is only visible to the spirit. There is a light that illuminates the soul and not just our eyes. The light that Jesus can be referred to is uncreated light. I love that phrase. You see, it's not like a flashlight that shines. It's uncreated light. It's the light that illuminates. It's not like when God said, let there be light and there was. It's different. Light of God himself, where God is light, John tells us in 1 John chapter 1. The light revealed to the disciples, even in his transfiguration, where he was illuminated, and they saw him differently. Gregory Palamas, a 14th century mystic, says, the mysterious light, inaccessible, immaterial, uncreated, deifying, eternal, the radiance of the divine nature, this glory of the divinity, this beauty of the heavenly kingdom is at once accessible to sense perception and yet transcends it. It is visible to the eyes of the heart. It is the spirit of God illuminating and John is coming back to the source. So when John says the light shines in darkness, Chapter 1, verse 5. Maybe instead of this being that beacon, that flashlight, it's a different kind of illumination. 
right? Paul's conversation, it was the middle of the day and he was knocked down by the light that was brighter than the sun. Why wasn't everyone knocked down? Because it was illuminated to him. There was something happening within his heart and it's a different kind of light. The Psalms, Psalm 139, it says, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day for darkness is as light to you. Now, this isn't like those special goggles that make everything green and you can see in it, right? It's just illuminated. There's nothing hidden. God is there. There's a different kind of light in who God is. And this is what needs to ignite us, right? This is the light that Jesus gives. This is the light that we want. It's more than how we see. It is how God speaks, how God ministers, how God gives us direction. It is by his spirit. Jesus also spoke a spiritual blindness, right? Of the Pharisees, he said, let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Well, they weren't physically blind, but they were spiritually blind. They were missing something. And they were leading people astray because they couldn't see clearly. It's important that we see clearly, right? When it comes to having life in God, Follow the one with the light. Jesus is the light. And it brings to that second point that I think is illuminating from the other gospels. And it's the identity of Jesus. In verse 25, they said to him, who are you? I love that question. Who are you? And this is after their dialogue going back and forth. They're like, who do you think you are? What a question. How do we find our identity? Right? What, what makes a person's identity? Identity is really something that we find by our history and our destiny. Right? How we came to be where we are and where we're going really gives us an identity knowing where I've come from, knowing where I'm going. And do you remember the Samaritan woman in chapter four where she said, are you greater than our father Jacob? Right, later on, they're gonna say to him, are you greater than our father Abraham? Right, they've got these ideas of these are our heroes. Are you greater than our heroes? They asked him because they sensed a challenge. Who you're saying you are is challenging the people we hold in esteem. You're saying you are greater than them. Matthew 12, Jesus referred to someone and something greater than the temple, greater than Jonah, greater than Solomon, right? He would kind of give these illusions. Yes, someone then greater than Solomon is here. Something, something greater than the temple is here. But he never came out and just spelled out and said, this is what it is. This is who it is. But Jesus left it there without explicitly pointing to himself. And he, he did not suggest that he was the one he was referring to, but it's something that is clear 
here that he's making clear. It's a question even Jesus asked of the disciples in the Synoptic Gospels in Matthew 16. Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And John allows us to hear Jesus speak in a clear voice. Verses 14, verses 19. John shows us that Jesus dropped plenty of clues. Right? God is his father. To know Jesus is to know God in verse 19. They're from below and the world, and he's from above and not of this world in verse 23. He is the truth that sets people free from sin. I love that. He is the truth that sets people free from sin. That's just beautiful. That's what I need. That's the illumination we all need, a truth that sets us free from sin. He came to them from God, verse 42. Some of these statements might seem a little ambiguous, but there is no ambiguity in ambiguity in verse 58. Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham, I was. And that's a crescendo. Kabam, right? It all. He doesn't say before Abraham was, I was. Of course, I don't think that's proper English, but he just says before Abraham was, I am. And that I am is what made them want to pick up stones and kill him because it was the phrase of God. And so here in John's gospel, it's laid out. John wants us to know this is who he is. Make no question about it. You know, it's like one of those gender reveals. You want to find out, is it a boy or is it a girl? And they got to pop a balloon. They got to blow some smoke. They got to cut a cake. They got to do something like, what do we have? What do we have? And then, you know, I've been to a couple of them and you say, oh boy, this is what it is. This is the the God reveal, right? This is where John says, I got a revelation here for you. Before Abraham was, I am. That's what he said. No mistaking. Wow. It's a heavy statement. His meaning was clear, so much so that they wanted to kill him for it. And then a third truth that I think is made more clear here is why didn't people understand? With all the miracles that Jesus did, with all the things that he did, why didn't people believe? John says plainly why the crowd did not understand Jesus in verses 27 and 43. It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. I have a computer that's about 10 years old now. And every now and then I'll be running a few programs on it. And all of a sudden it just kind of stops running at all. I mean, it's like the circle is going, right? It's like trying to figure out. And what's happening is it will tell me that, you know, I have low RAM, right? RAM is random access memory. I, I don't have enough random access memory to make all these programs work. And, and so it just kind of freezes up and it doesn't allow me to open up the Word document or the Excel document or whatever it is. It just kind of sits there because there's not enough to get that. You see, 
they couldn't bear to hear his word because it clashed with their prejudice. It clashed with their heroes. It clashed with the identity and the things that they held in esteem. Their paradigm, Jesus didn't fit into it. And and so to fit Jesus into their paradigm, they would have to throw so many things out that they just couldn't fathom it. So instead they were gonna throw him out. They couldn't bear to hear his word. There was no room. And I think God does that still. I think he challenges us with who he is in so many ways that sometimes I wonder, can I bear your word? Am I really hearing all that you say and want of me? Because it's not about going to church. We've talked about this the last couple of weeks, even Randy two weeks ago, right? Being a disciple is not about going to church. It's not just about reading. It's not just about praying. It's about living. It's about walking with. It's about following. It's about being illuminated in Christ. And I wonder sometimes if we can bear to hear his word in the paradigm that we're living in, especially in a a consumer-driven culture. You know, it's amazing that anxiety is a problem, not in third world countries, but in first world countries. Why? Because we think we need so many things, but really you have need of one thing. I can do without so many distractions, but there's something I can't do without And sometimes all these other distractions choke out the ability to make room for the one thing that I need. Am I so consumeristic that what's important to me doesn't fit? And I can't bear his words because I filled my life with so many things. Second reason they didn't receive it is because They didn't have the understanding of God. Whoever is of God hears the word of God. You do not hear them. That is because you are not of God. The emphasis on the word of. They were religious, but they were not of God. The third reason, again, they did not understand Jesus was because my word finds no place in you. He told them, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. What does that mean, abide? To to be in communion with, to be next to, to to work together, right? What what does it mean, my word? It's not just a, a page. It's not something that's just written. It's something that is spoken. It's something that is given, that is life. Do you remember how Jesus redefined family in Mark's gospel when they came and they wanted to see him and they thought he had lost his mind. They thought he was crazy. He's not sleeping. He's doing all these things. And so they went out of concern to go get him. And they said, hey, Jesus, your mother, your brothers are here. And he says, who are my mothers? Who are my brother? What did he say? Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, my sister, my mother. Whoever does the will of God. The problem here is that the word could not find a place in them. 
It's like the parable of the seed in the soil, right? Jesus' words needs special environment to flourish. It needs to grow in that area. You know, it's kind of like bacteria. If it's not the right environment, it doesn't grow. If it's the right environment, warm, unlike this room, then it will grow. It needs to have a place in our lives to be able to grow. And so I want to kind of finish with a thought. When we read Jesus' teaching, his word searches for a place in us. When we read this story and this chapter, his word is searching for a place in us to take root and to grow. Not to just be understood, but to be lived. A place that is open, that is receptive, that is responsive. We hear and we respond willing to hear the truth, whether pleasant or unpleasant, the place in us that God wants to take place, and a place where we want to know God. God searches for a place in me that is searching for him. They had no place for Jesus, not in their theology, not in their thinking, not in their lives. And his word was rendered ineffective, powerless to generate life because there was no room for it to grow. At the end of his ministry, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And I have to ask myself, what place have I prepared for him? Because if I won't prepare a place for him, what place is there for me? So this is the unveiling, the revealing, the importance of Jesus and the life that he gives. And the beginning story is the character. It is the heart of God and how he gives life. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we are challenged by you. That you would illuminate your life in us. Lord, that we would allow you to light the fire, the lamp, so that we can in turn be the light of the world. And Lord, I do pray that there would be room in our hearts for your word to shape. Father, if, if we find ourselves in a place that is confronted by you, may we be willing to surrender, yield our will to yours. May 
We desire what you want for us. And God, sometimes I don't even know what that is until it confronts me. And so, Lord, throughout my life, I have been confronted by your spirit. And I pray you continue to do that. I pray you continue to expose darkness in me, Lord, prejudice in me, ways in me that are not like you, that need to grow, that need to change. That all the heroes that I have, the the idols that I put up, the, the things that compete for your affection would be made low. That there would be a place where you can grow and be effective in my life and in our life as a community. And Lord, I pray that this would be something we each take to heart as we desire to walk with you, Lord, that we would not give in to an easier life. A life that is superficial, a life that doesn't bring change, a life that doesn't challenge us, a life that doesn't demand of us character change, heart change, life change. Lord, I, I know that there are struggles here. Struggles in my life. I know that there are addictions, Lord, addictions to substances, uh, addiction to uh, things, Lord, uh, to consumerism. Father, I pray that you would help us to recognize those things and again allow your light to illuminate our lives so that we can allow you to change us. Father, you have so much to do. And you want to do it through us. May we make room for that to take place. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. May the beautiful, uncreated radiance of the divine nature illuminate the eyes of your heart and ignite the fire of your life to live of God. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week. Thank you guys. Remember, 1st of November, we're going to be somewhere else. God bless you guys. And sign up if you can help at all. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.